0: Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, October 10th, 2021. We continue our series titled, Romans, Gospel for All Time. Today's sermon, The Law and the Truth, will be taught to us by Pastor Bob Wade out of Romans chapter two, verses 11 through 16. But first, here's a quick recap of last week's sermon. The second question he's gonna ask is, do you think you know better? Do you think you're that much better than other people? You think your sins are so much more respectable than other people's sins that somehow God will judge you by a different standard? You think based upon how often you go to church and how much money you give or how you dress or the things you do or the things that you say, you think those things make you better? Jesus came into this world to see people saved, to see people repent of their sin, place their faith in God and walk with God. He did not come to condemn the world because people are already condemned. Now, if Jesus did not come into the world to condemn people, why do Jesus' people feel like it's their job? It shouldn't be. To walk in the way of Jesus is to walk in the way of grace. It's to walk in the way of mercy. It's to walk in the way that other people might see the beauty, the majesty, the glory, the grace of Jesus, repent of their sins and turn to him and walk with the Lord.
1: You know, the key to understanding our passage this morning actually is going to come one verse before. It's where Thomas left off last week in verse 11. And we'll actually pick up and go from that even this morning. It's a very simple statement. Verse 11 says, For God shows no partiality. You see, from God's point of view, all of mankind is on the same level. Now, that's not normally the the norm with us. We tend to classify people all sorts of ways. I mean, race, culture, uh, wealth, education, nationality, and in the last three years, political affiliation. You know? God only has one classification, that you and I are sinners. Romans 3, verse 23, tells us everyone, every one of us falls short of the standard of God. That is one of the hardest verses in the Bible to get people actually to believe. The problem is, is that we tend to have people that are around us and we spend all of our time sort of standing them up next to us. And so in that case, very often you can say, well, I'm, you know, morally, I'm probably the best person, you know, in my family or maybe the best person at my work, or maybe the best person even in my section here, you know, at church. The problem is, is the passage never says you're supposed to stand them up against other people, the standard of heaven. God's standard is perfection, and none of us matches that. Convincing people of that truth is one of the hardest truths biblically there is. In fact, Paul here will take three chapters worth of space in the book of Romans just to convince both the Gentiles and the Jews of that truth. If you remember back in chapter one, we talked about the fact that Paul begins to speak of the sinfulness who do not have the law, that would be the Gentiles chapter two, he talks about the sinfulness of those who do have the law, the Jews, and when, by the time we get to chapter three, he will reiterate it all over again, reminding us that every single one of us falls short of the glory of God, and so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to stop off, and we're going to look at the law for a few minutes before we jump into the truth of the passage. Let me read the passage here. Romans chapter two, starting in verse 11, for God shows no partiality. For all have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are justified before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Pray with me, will you? Father, I pray that this morning you would give us eyes to see your truth and how every single part of scripture points back to us needing you. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, first of all, we're gonna look at the law for a second, I don't know if you noticed that or not by just reading those, that passage there, but the law mentioned a lot in that passage. 11 times in five verses. First thing I, you know, I do, whenever I study, everybody has their different way of doing it, but the first thing I do is I tend to sit down with a pen and start checking things, so I count things up. That's the very first thing. You count up and you start realizing in five verses, 11 times they mention the law, clearly that's what this is all about. Clearly, that's what the Spirit is leading Paul to sort of deal with. And you might be thinking, well, I didn't really want to talk about the law. I would really love to talk about love. I'd love to talk about all that New Testament. Didn't we get rid of the Old Testament? I thought we traded it in on a new one. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that there's any value in studying the book of Hebrews? Or the book of Revelation? Or the the Gospel of Matthew? or the book of Romans, because all of those are packed full of the Old Testament law. And so we're gonna take a look at the law for a moment and get a better understanding of what God is doing and what God wants us to understand. Now, here's the first thing. Let me give you a little bit of an overview. The Old Testament is broken into five basic sections. Here's how I uh, learned it my freshman year in college 512, 5512. If you can remember that, you can start your process of really getting the Old Testament. 512, 5512. You start off with five books of the law, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Sometimes you'll hear people call it the Pentateuch. Tente would be the, the Greek word there for five. Some other people might call it Torah. You know, you'll hear people say, well, I just need to go back and study, you know, the, the Torah. Okay. Torah means the law, which is in that first five books there. And then you have history. 12 books of history goes all the way from Joshua to Esther. Then you have five books of wisdom. Uh, That's books like Psalms, Proverbs, you know, Ecclesiastes. Sometimes people will use the word poetry. That's got a bad connotation in the English sort of language. You know, it's just things are said in a poetic way to bring truth about. You have the major prophets of Isaiah through Daniel and then the minor prophets. The second thing you need to know is the law really is considered to be the special revelation of the righteous will of God. And according to John 1:17, it came to the Hebrew people through the prophet Moses. The law contains 613 laws. And it breaks into three parts. Deuteronomy chapter four, verses 13 and 14 says this, and he declared to you his covenant which he commanded you to perform, that is the 10 commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you were going over to possess. By the way, that land was an area called Canaan. It's the land they are still in today. Israel is still in the land of Canaan, which we call Israel today. But at this time, when the promise was made, they were still running around in the Negev desert because they'd been disobedient for so long. So the law here has commands, specifically the Ten Commandments, statutes, which at times sort of explain how we sort of fulfill those commands. That The Hebrew word there for statutes is the word hakan, and it means boundaries. So it's sort of like, what are the boundaries of this command? How do I actually work this whole thing? And then rules, you have to, you have rules, so there talks about authority and control. Now the third thing I want you to get here is the 10 Commandments are the focus of the law. Exodus chapter 19, verse 16, I want you to notice here, how God makes a big deal about this. He says, on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountains and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. And so basically, Mount Sinai just erupts with thunder, lightning, fog, the whole bit, loud, loud sounds. None of the other laws came that way. Of the 613 laws, 10 of them get that kind of introduction, but 603 don't. It's a big deal. Mount Sinai was this awe-inspiring experience. God wanted it to be memorable. He wanted to shake up the people. He, he intended for them to get this in their mind that these commands really mattered. But he did not speak 603 of the laws. Only 10. 10. Well, how did the other laws come about? Go back to Deuteronomy chapter four, verse 14, tells us that they came through Moses here, and the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you were going over to possess. Now, let me give you the importance of these commands too. Exodus chapter 31, verse 18, tells us, and he gave to Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, two tablets of testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. So literally, God wrote the Ten Commandments with his own fingers. Now, now think about that. That's not hyperbole for, you know, the movies, That is not a cinematic license by Cecil B. DeMille. I mean, that is something God wants to communicate that these commands are not going away. And so literally, with his finger, he writes in the stone the commands. Way different than the rest of the law. That was 10 commands. When, When it came to the rest of the commands, God gave those commands to Moses who would give them to Israel, and they were not carved out by the finger of God. They would have taken uh, parchment, they would have taken you know, leather, they would have taken animal skills, that sort of thing, and they would have carved them in that or written them in that, and then Moses would taught them to the people. Now, how many of you remember the movie The Raiders of the Lost Ark? Anybody remember that? Indiana Jones, that whole thing, the very first of those movies. You know, they're searching, remember, for the Ark of the Covenant? The Ten Commandments were actually taken and placed in the Ark of the Covenant. Hebrews chapter nine, verse four says, and having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold in which the golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. So when God had this, the Ark of the Covenant there, one of the things that he did was he said, okay, here's what I want you to put in there. First of all, you take a jar full of manna. Manna was that special, you know, bread-like, you know, I call it wonder bread, bread-like, you know, stuff that would every morning would be out there for 40 years that people would go and gather it up and that's what they would So it really reminds them of the faithfulness of God. And then you had Aaron's staff that butted. You know, if you know Aaron's staff, you know that when God sent Moses and his brother Aaron, you know, they sent them in before Pharaoh. And while they were there, you know, they threw down the staff. And of course, then the musicians of, of Egypt, you know, tried to match that, but they couldn't match that. God's staff, you know, killed them and, and ate them and swallowed them and everything like that. And on top of that, not only was it a sign of like shepherding and it was a sign of like power and everything like that, but in the middle of it all, this piece of wood that was probably. 20 or 30 or 40 years old and completely dead. I mean, they've been using it, you know, to kill things. All of a sudden, it sprouts life, which was a clear sign to the people, I can bring life out of death, which, by the way, that would be you and I, if you believe, because you were spiritually dead, and then all of a sudden, Jesus makes you alive. And then it says they took the tablets, the Ten Commandments, that would remind the people of God's faithfulness and his law, and this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to exist and live. Now, Jesus also said some interesting things about the commandments. Keep your finger here in Roman. I want you to go back over to Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is speaking here, and in Matthew chapter five, verse 18 Jesus says these words. He says, for truly I say to you until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. What law is Jesus talking about? Well, if you're in Matthew 5 here, drop down to verse 21. He says, you shall not murder. Verse 27, don't commit adultery. Verse 33, don't lie, don't bear false witness. You know what he's talking about? the Ten Commandments. In fact, the only one of the Ten Commandments not reiterated in the New Testament was the Sabbath. Sabbath keeping was a part of the covenant between Israel and the Lord. You can choose any Sabbath day you want now, according to Paul. And so here's the big question. Why did God give the law? Go back to Romans Go back to the book of Romans, look at Romans chapter 3. Now, by the way, if you write in your Bible, this would be a great place for you to get something pretty important here. I want you to go to Romans chapter 3 and look at verse 20. Romans chapter 3, verse 20 says, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Stop, look up for a second. Was any of that confusing at all? Not a bit. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Every single work that you do as a person is not going to make you righteous. Keep going. Since through the law, now he's gonna tell you why we have the law, comes the knowledge of sin since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. See, the law was meant for people to realize I am a sinner. Well, why was there so many of these laws? Because there was every single angle you could possibly think, you know, well, we'll try it this way. Do you understand that you're not perfect? Okay, yeah, but I don't, I don't really care about that. Okay, well, try it this way. How you deal with other people? Uh, well, you know, I'm not perfect there. Well, how about if, how you deal with, like, your community? I mean, all these different ways, every single way proved that we were imperfect people. Paul in Galatians chapter three verses 23 and 24 said this, now before faith came we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Now there's a word, that word there guardian, actually I like the, the, there's a, a better translation I think of that and that is the word tutor. The reason why I like it is this, I, I think back in different during classes that I had in school and I needed a tutor. You know why I needed a tutor? I didn't get it. I needed someone that would help me put all the things together and work all this stuff out. You see, the law was there so that people would stop and they would get this tutor that would go, oh. I mean, because they had to be asking questions like, well, why would Abraham offer Isaac up as a sacrifice for sin? oh, one day the father will offer up the son. That they would learn from this. But they didn't learn. The question is, if they had a tutor, why didn't everybody turn to Christ? The problem was, is they got so excited, so happy, so proud about having the law, that they thought keeping the law was the main goal. They didn't let the goal be God's goal, which was simply to lead them to Christ. They just thought it was the issue of keeping the law. And they were wrong. Romans 9, 31 through 32 says, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as as it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. Do you know who the stumbling stone is in the Bible? It's Jesus. First Peter, chapter two, verses six through eight, said, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, that stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Do you see it? The real point of the Old Testament, the real point of the law was to lead us to Jesus. The Bible only has one story. One story. Everything in the Bible is intended to bring me to the place where I would go, you're there, I need you, but I can't get there on my own how will you provide the way for me? That's the singular story of scripture that God answers by sending his son. It's a baby. Now go back to Romans two, because we've looked at the law. Now let's talk about truth for a minute, because Paul's gonna give us three truths here in verses 11 through 16. The first thing he's gonna tell us here is about the impartiality of God. So after we've talked about all that, let me go back and read 11 through 12 again. For God shows no partiality, for all have sinned without the law will perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So in other words, all have sinned under the law, all have sinned without the law, and according to verse 12, the Jews should not have a false security because they have the law, because everybody under the law is still sinned. And the Gentiles who don't have the law are guilty without the law. They can't use the argument, well, no one told me. Because the truth is, Paul will tell us here in the passage that God's already written the law on their hearts to know. This had to be really a troubling time when Paul wrote this and people would have read that because there was a group of people here that thought that possessing the law was a position of privilege and there was a a blessing of being God's chosen people and that meant there would a different set of standards for them. In fact, rabbis at that time very often taught that there were two judgments. They thought that there would be a judgment based on heritage and blessing and Paul is saying, that's not true. What you had is responsibility. Jonah. God wanted to take the gospel, the gospel message to the Ninevites. So he tells Jonah, you go. Jonah didn't want to go. God figured out a way to get him there. You know, we, by the way, this is not just aimed certainly at the first century Jews, this is us. We have a tendency to think that we are blessed as a nation and somehow must be God's gift to the world. I hate to burst your bubble, but just because you're an American, you are not God's gift to the world. Let me tell you what you are, you're blessed. And because you're blessed, you need to take advantage of that opportunity for the gospel's sake. See, people have asked me a couple of different times, why are you guys so into Haiti? Can't you just be into something just a few miles away? You don't understand how like, economic partnerships work if my brother's church and my church are standing here together and they can afford you know to spend you know only go 10 miles to serve then that's their responsibility but if i can afford to go further then that one's mine That's how you have to look at it. We're not gonna overthink it. We're gonna take advantage of the opportunity that we've been given, but it is a responsibility. It's not that I'm better than anybody else, it's because I've been given the responsibility and God had given his chosen people, the Jews, the responsibility of taking the message of the one God to the whole world, and they didn't. Do you ever wonder why the Assyrians and Babylonians were able to come in and defeat Israel? because God led them, because he needed his people to spread out, to go everywhere, into all the nations of the world that had hundreds and thousands of gods and deities and stuff like that, but to go and to take the message of the one God there. Paul's point is just because the Jews had the law didn't make them righteous. Just because you have the law doesn't make you right. It wouldn't be. I mean, it would be like saying I, every time I go to the car, you know the garage, I become a car. No. Impartiality means God will judge everyone based on their response to the truth that they have been giving. And that is a warning, And including, in this case it was clearly to the Jewish moralists. I mean, this had to be hard to swallow because in their minds the Gentiles at this time were barbarians and heathens. The Jews lived by a strict code, they, they were respectful, they did all those things like that. The, the, the Gentiles didn't do that. They weren't the chosen people of God. They didn't have that relationship with the Lord. They were ignorant of his commands. And they thought those were the things that God was going to judge. That was simply a part of their blessing. Now the second thing you see here in verses 13 to 15 is the transformation of the faithful. Go back to verse 13. He said, it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. The doers of the law will be justified, meaning declared righteous. Does that mean they're saved by works then? Nope. A better way to read it might be like this. It's not those who have my revelation who are righteous, it's those whose lives show transformation that I have declared righteous. Hearing the law does not justify anyone before God. Jesus in Matthew chapter seven, verse 24 said, it's those who hear his word and do it, these are the ones who are right with God. Transformation is revealed in new life. Coming to Jesus changes us. That's what the Bible tells us. I mean, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so according to verse 13, possessing the law really isn't the issue. Judgment, according to verse 13, is based on obeying or disobeying the light that God has given us. You go to verses 14 and 15, it tells us those without the specific revelation of God, without the law, that would be the Gentiles, they prove that they do in fact have the law written on their conscience when they do what they're supposed to do. Okay, what law would they be that he's talking about there in Romans? Well, if you're looking at Romans chapter two here, if you drop down to verse 21, it says don't steal. If you drop down to 22, it says don't commit adultery. If you drop down to 22 again, it says do not commit idolatry. That's the very same law that the Jews had written on stone tablets. Paul is saying all of us have written on the flesh of our hearts. Do you remember who Abraham was? The patriarch, Abraham? He lived before the law was given. Genesis 15 verse six, God told Abraham, or Abram at that point before he was called Abraham that he would bless him, he would give the land to his descendants in something called the Abrahamic Covenant. And Abraham believed God and that was counted as righteousness. Very important you catch this, he didn't have the law. He trusted God. He had the law written in his heart. You see, at that point, the law is basically this intuitive gift from God. Apart from the special revelation that, that the law itself was, it's this inborn recognition of morality. Now, Paul isn't saying, hey, the Gentiles know all the stipulations of the Mosaic law. He's not saying that. What he's saying is every single culture knows stealing is wrong, murder is wrong. Every culture, I don't care where you go, everyone, why? Because God put a conscience inside of you to know that there are moral rights and moral wrongs. Conscience here does not lead me to salvation. Like the law, it brings me to the knowledge of sin. I was 14 years old at Hume Lake Christian Camp. I walk in, never been to anything like this before. Not a Christian, completely unchurched. I go there, Ken Poor gets up, and he tells this story, and then he says, you're a sinner. I had never read the Bible, and you know what I said? Yeah, you're right, I am. I didn't have to have the law. My conscience told me you are a sinner. It didn't tell me what to do. It's not a saving knowledge. It told me I needed to be saved. You need help. You need forgiveness. I'm going to ask the worship team if they'll come back and join me. The third thing here is the third and last thing is accountability from the Lord. Look at verse 16. It says, and on that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Jesus here, whom we typically think of as the suffering servant here is also the judge. Isn't that interesting? My wife and I were talking about this and they said, you know, I, I gotta be honest with you, we don't normally think of Jesus in that role, but would you want anybody else? I mean, would you want anybody else than the one that's walked in your place? That lived in the same environment you had? The one that loved you enough to come and die on a cross for you? It's the only one I would want to judge me. Verse 16 will tell us four things here. First of all, it will tell us that there will be a certain day of judgment. That's not something that's popular for a lot of people. Modern day culture doesn't really want to talk about that. But Acts chapter 17, verse 31 reinforces that. He says, but because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has appointed, and this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The second thing that the passage tells us here is that on that day God will judge the secrets of men. All those things that you think that are rolling around in your brain that no one ever knows, He'll judge. Want me to tell you how you get past that? Lay them all down at his feet. Pour the bucket out. Get rid of it. God, that's not the man I want to be. It's not the way I want to think. Change me from the inside out. The third thing is when God judges, he will do it through Jesus. Jesus. Jesus himself said in John chapter five, he says, for the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. The fourth thing is, the final judgment is according to Paul's gospel. Um, Let me tell you what I think he means by that. Paul did not write one of the four Gospels we normally think about Gospel, but you notice when you saw the video pop up here, it says the Gospel for all time. Because Romans is the clearest explanation of the Gospel truth that there is. And I think what's important for you to understand is Paul's Gospel starts off with, you're a sinner. You're a sinner. Very often, people will share the Gospel with us and say, hey, did you know that God loves you? Did you know that God wants to forgive you and he wants to bring you into his family and it sounds wonderful and sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it fails to get to the part of you need to be saved. You are lost. You're bound for an eternity separated from God. Paul's gospel never leaves that out. He begins with it. That's why the first three chapters are on us being sinners and so if you consider yourself a believer let me encourage you with great humility and gratitude it should show in your life when we worship it should show in your life in your testimony it should show in your life when we give or we serve or we do any of the things that go along with being a believer in Christ and if that's not you You need the gospel. And so let me give you the gospel quickly. We printed these up. They're outside on the tables out there. It's called the Roman's Road. It simply walks you through the gospel message. Romans 3.23, you've heard that already. says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All, every one of us, you included. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin, the result of that sin, is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. In 5.8, he comes along and he says, but God shows his love for us and that while we're still sinners, while we're lost, Christ died for us. In Romans 10, verses nine and 10, he says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then finally, the good news ends with Romans 8, 1, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So here's what I would encourage you. If you're a believer already in Christ, let the humility and the gratitude of the fact that God took a sinner like you and adopted him into his family and made you his own and loves you and gives you a place with him in eternity but if you're not a believer if that's not true of you you could ask God right where you're at God would you forgive me would you take me in into your family I want you to be my Lord Pray with me. You don't need anybody else to pray that prayer with you. You can do that all by yourself, but I want to encourage you at the end of this service, there will be a group of people down here in the front that would love to be able to pray with you about anything. And I'd encourage you to please do that. Father, would you move in such a powerful way that we know exactly where we stand with you and that we would come before you with great humility, either thanking you for saving us from our sin or asking you to save us from our sin. But God, would you create that joy in us right now, in Jesus' name, amen. Did you catch the line in that song we sang, faultless stand before him in his righteousness alone? Folks, we're sinners. We are sinners, and it's such a beautiful thing. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. That ought to be reflected in our walk and our talk, and I'm gonna ask you this week, would you let that be true of you? Humbly and with great gratitude, let that be true of you to the whole world. God bless you, love you all.